You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. On October 19, 2014, George Snayman spoke at Grace Church in Racine, Wisconsin. He spoke from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 17, on the subject of planting, watering, and building for God's glory. In verse 3, Paul says something quite interesting. Paul said to the church in Corinth, you are still worldly. And I pondered about that, you know. How can Paul say to Christians that they are worldly? They, they were Christians, right? Paul recognized the fact that they were Christians, and yet he said, you are still worldly. And I think it's a very relevant message for all of us today. I once read about a man in the United States um, who adopted the, an orphan out of Africa. Your country is amazing in a way you guys adopt people. You, you really set the standard. I'm traveling to many countries. I've never seen a nation that is so aggressive in adopting and fostering. Good on you. Good on you. But this man wrote in this article... And he said that he adopted this African boy into their family, but it's very tough for them as a family because somehow this boy just have relational challenges with the rest of the family. And in fact, the man said this, and I want to quote him. It seems the hardest thing for this boy is to believe that he really was adopted into my family. I don't know what more I can do to make him understand that he is really my son. Friends, this morning I want to say to you, I believe fundamentally this is one of the biggest challenges that we have as Christians, especially in the microwave culture that you live in. We can somehow academically comprehend Jesus died for us. We can even understand he paid for our sins but to understand that after he's done that, he actually adopted us. He legally made us his sons and his daughters. That day when a judge said, you are free, he took us home. He didn't send us back into the streets. That vertical adoption is the very first thing for us as believers to understand before we can ever speak about horizontal adoption where we reach out in love to others. We will always kick a dead horse if we try to get people to become compassionate and loving to their neighbors. If they don't really firsthand in their own hearts understand the compassion to show to them, not just by quitting them from their sin, but actually that they were taken home in a community. That there was a perfect community, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who did not just pick us out of the hole, but they actually said, and now you can come to our house. You can come and live in our community. I don't know about you, but the day they decided to invite me into the community, they invited trouble. <laughs> Isn't it? They invited trouble. Messy. I love your theme about Corinthians. We are messy. They were not caught off guard by surprise. But they so passionately love us. That when they took us out of that hole. That they actually took us home. You know for many of us. We don't live that truth. And in our day to day living. We still play out there in the streets. 
with the street children. We chase the worthless things we see children in the streets are chasing. Instead of understanding that we are adopted sons and daughters who are safe in our father's house and we've got a whole inheritance, we are part of chasing these worthless things and we actually go and dig in the rubbish bins of this world. We get attracted by the things that they dig out of the rubbish bins like status and prestige and Wealth. In Colossians 3 1, it's very clear that there are two kingdoms. And the question that big to be answered this morning is which one is having influence in our lives? As sons and daughters, we are co heirs of our brother Jesus, which is amazing. We can speak so long about adoption, but when you adopt somebody, I adopted the girl. Her, her surname was Lubisi, but you know, the day when the judge said she's your daughter, her surname changed. She became Sneiman. All the debts that she had, all the bad things about Lubisi, all that things was cancelled over Nikiwe Grace. She became a Sneiman in every legal sense of the word. She became mine. She's in my will. Just like my biological children. Just like Jesus, you are legally sons and daughters of your father. But with that comes a responsibility also. The same responsibility that's on Jesus is on us. We are part of our father's business What is his business? What is our dad's business? Well, in Africa, we simplify everything to understand it. And I will try to explain to you in an African way. Our father's business is simply this. He wants his sons and his daughters who are out there in a cold. He wants them home. He's mourning for them. He's weeping for them. He is a father. He loves it that you are safe in a home today. He loves it when you gather. But friends, let's just be frank about it. When he's here with us, he enjoys it. But he's looking over our shoulders all the time. Where are the ones who are still out there? They are his sons and his daughters. And he's saying to us, bring them home. In verse 9, we read that we are co-workers in God's field. We are first of all co-workers of Christ, right? And Christ said that's such a beautiful example. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And the way he did it, he gave his whole life. He gave everything he had to the point where he was cut off from his community. He gave everything he had. Do you hear Everything as a ransom so that you and I could be reconciled with our Father. He entered the world to offer himself for his Father's purposes and for mankind's needs that you and me. But we also partner with people like, like Nesta, an uh, uh, African care worker that I, that I just spent Three weeks, three weeks ago, spent the day with. 
I met Nesta. I stayed in a, in a hut with children. And early in the morning, I got up and I met with Nesta. We were going to spend the day from hut to hut. Child-headed households, hundreds of them. That high school, the principal told me that in that high school of 350, nearly half of the children are orphans without any adult supervision. The principal will say to me, the children get up on a Monday morning. They won't know which day it is. They won't have any concept. There's nobody guiding them except people like Nesta. You know, when I met Nesta in our house that morning, her husband, she's about my age, her husband was critically ill. She actually took me to the house and, and we knelt together Then I prayed for her husband who was not well at all. And as we walked past a, a little room that was a, like a kitchen for the family, I saw about six children and a teenage girl sitting there around a fire. And Nesta looked at me and she apologized that she couldn't give me anything to eat because there was nothing to eat. And the rest of the day, I walked with this faith hero of the 21st century. You know, we walked steep mountains, jumped over creeks. At one stage, I was stopping up a steep hill I thought, let me give her a chance to catch her breath. And I said to her, Nessa, why are you doing this? She said, George, I've got no choice to do this. This is the right thing to do. This is what it's about. The hope that's in me compel me to do this. I thought, you've got no choice? 99.9% of people outside Africa will have a very, 10 very good reasons why not to do that. You know, after that, we, we went to go and visit grandmothers. I would, I would go with her down to a water hole. I would line my stomach and I would reach down to pull out filthy gray water and fill up big containers of Nesta. She would carry it on her head. I will walk behind her carrying a few liters like, like this. People laughing. And this woman is carrying this massive volumes of water. Meeting with grandmothers. Just children. Just no hope. But when they start walking there, they, their faces lit up. Christ just comes. After that, she will go and fetch dry wood. All of this in one day and she will make a fire and she will prepare food for a hundred children. And I will watch the children come out of school. Well, if you can call it school. Like 80 kids in a little room. And they will come and their faces will shine because that will be the meal for the day. And Nesta will know every one of their names. You see, it's people like that who are so vulnerable, so weak, so weak. They remind me of my Savior, the King of Kings who chose to be born in hay and dung. He chose a teenage girl to become pregnant from obscure village. Yeah. 
His father was so poor, he used a pigeon to pay. He was a refugee in Africa at a young age. Just think for a moment how Jesus grew up in a village. Everybody knew, everybody knew that Joseph wasn't his dad. Mary confessed it. You know, Mary was a teenage girl that was pregnant, and it was even worse because she even said publicly the fiancé was not the father. Think about that, how vulnerable he was in that culture. He chose to be that vulnerable. He chose it because he wanted us to see his heart. He wanted us to understand how important it is for us to go down, down. The world is teaching you upward mobility. Your king taught you downward mobility. He said, you go down, you'll find the diamonds in the dust. You'll find the rubbish bins in the top. I was in the Democratic Republic of the Congo recently in a village called Kisunka. We rebaptized it. We call it the lost city. The last, when we went there to go and find it, it was me and, and two of my leaders, three leaders. We got lost for three days in the f- bushes. We slept in the bushes for three days until we found this village. I stayed in that hut very recently. But you know, friends, even in that village where it was so off the ladder, people were only fighting from meal to meal. They, they're not thinking about planting. When they get seeds, they eat it. Even in a so utter despair village, there were amazing, amazing sons and daughters who knew they belonged in the house of their father. I stayed in that village and, and early in the morning I sat outside and, and the children just came. They just came around me. <laughs> you, know, you know, what I did in that village is exactly what Jesus did in my life. Just one unexpected day, I just appeared. I just burst into that village and I just loved them. I just gave everything I had, not handouts. I gave everything I had inside me. That boy in the middle, in the next photo, I think his name is Reagan. Yeah, the boy in the middle. His name is Reagan. Amazing. 12 years old. Very clever. Never been to school for one day. He will spend his day digging holes in the, in the ground, trying to catch field mice so that they can eat it. I went home, I told my family about that. I said to them, what are we going to do about it? Not hands at work, not donors. What are we going to do about it? Because that, that is my father's heart. You know, it's costing me $50 a year. I've got photos of Reagan, the first day in school. Man, you couldn't wipe the smile off his face. The teachers are writing to us and they're saying to us, when school ends at 2 o'clock, everybody goes home. Reagan stays in the school. He just writes. He practices. He's living it out. Reagan, Christ, burst into Reagan's life when people decided to have beautiful feet. When people decided to reach out. People that understand from year to year, they understand that they have been adopted by their father. You know, when Christ burst into our lives, everything changed. And we have the same privilege of our lives to burst into other people's lives, to have beautiful feet. 
in North America, Christians are giving 2.5% of their income to the church. The church gives 2% of their income to the rest of the world who are suffering. It's five cents out of every hundred dollars. I thought about that. I thought about our history. I think it is like an extra chicken for Christmas to the slaves. But we see in verse 11 that there is only one foundation that we can build this on. And that's the foundation of Christ. Friends, I want to say to you that when you go into places like that where there is literally no hope, for those grandmothers, for those care workers, for those children, that grandmothers buried their own children and after that they've got the grandchildren to look after. How do you bring hope to brokenness like that? I want to tell you, Christ's hope is real. It changed people's lives. We need to learn that Christ in us is the biggest gift we can give to this world. We know that. But what we don't consider constantly is the way we do that is to lay our lives down. Because Christ's gift, for God so loved the world that he gave. He could have left us and still withhold. But he left us and he gave his life to us. And as sons and daughters of the king, we've got to lay our lives down. John saying, 1 John 3, 16, we know what love is that God gave his life. Jesus gave his life for us. Now, brothers and sisters, you ought to lay your lives down. But you see, the challenge comes to which kingdom is a reality to us tomorrow morning when we go to office or Friday night when we work out our budget or when we make a decision what we need to do with what God has entrusted us with. We need to be reminded that the cross is the ultimate sacrifice for others. Every human, you and me, were born into slavery a captive of sin. And Jesus' death paid the ransom. He purchased our freedom with his blood. Consider what this means. He allowed his purity to be violated by our sins. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. He took on him every bit of sin. He suffered injustice. The injustice of dying for our sins to reconcile God's holiness to our imperfection. And that fact makes us champions of justice. Justice is in the center of the very gospel. Justice is the expression of the heart of your father. And if anybody ever tells you social justice is for liberal whatever, I'm telling you they do not know Jesus. How can you rip my heart out and tell people you know me? 
How can you express me if you don't know my heart? It is because of justice that we've got hope. It is because somebody saw injustice and they stepped in and they took their bodies and they laid it down for us. That's the hallmark of a spirit-filled Christian. That is not for the three Mother Teresas. It's a hallmark of a follower of Christ that they will have compassion. Friends, the Good Samaritan, the only difference between the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan was this. He saw and he had compassion. We're not adding anything to the gospel when we talk about social justice. In fact, great, great men in the history of the church, Spurgeon, the Wesleyans, Calvin, every one of them were very, Jonathan Edwards, strong advocates for justice. We've diluted it away. As we grew in our materialism, we just diluted that part of their lives away. I can give you lists, literally lists, of charities that Spurgeon himself founded. Spurgeon said, everything I preach will be nullified if I cannot bear the fruit in living it out with my neighbor. We can confess as much as we want to. The fruit in our lives is a proof. We, therefore, as sons and daughters living in our father's house, we cannot tolerate injustice. It makes us angry. And it should. Because our father is a champion of justice. David, the man after God's own heart, spoke in Psalm 8, 68 verse 5. And he said, I'll describe you as a God that say I'm a man after his own heart. He said, this is who he is. He's the father or the fatherless and the husband or the champion of the widow is God in his holy habitation. How clear can somebody that know him so well express it? Friends, we will never step out of our middle class mindset and do anything for the poor until we've caught God's heart for them. If we ignore the poor and the needy, we are as good as dead as people of God. Mozambique is a country that's gone through injustice like you can't believe. You know, the, they, the Portuguese colonialized them for many decades. And when they left, I saw it with my own eyes. They blew up every single power station. They poured concrete in all the plumbing of all the buildings. They destroyed all the dams. They left that country totally in the dark when they left. And it was followed up immediately by a civil war of nearly two decades. Brother against brother. Followed up by a Marxist government. Followed up by AIDS pandemic sweeping through that nation. That country is broken to the ground. I found the most vulnerable village in that country. And I went to the most vulnerable family in that village. 
and I met Paulina and her three children. And when her husband died, they lived in the bushes. I want to tell you, I met her children. They are real. We live like they don't exist. Friends, they've got names. They've got fears. They've got hopes. They are children. I slept with him in a hut where the roof was burned down, no windows, no doors. There was no food in that hut. I sat with him around the fire. Little Maria was about four years old and she fell asleep on my lap. I've never been as close to Jesus as in that burnt down hut. And I could feel the pain of my father as he said to me, bring them home. They are my children. I'm speaking to you this morning on behalf of your brothers and your sisters. Compassion and justice are the hallmark of a spiritful believer of Christ. Paul says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit dwells in you? In Matthew 21 verse 18 we read about the man that owed the king millions of dollars and he begged for mercy and the king said, he had compassion and said, I forgive you. And that very man walked out there and somebody that owed him two, three dollars, he didn't have the generosity to forgive his brother and to give. But he strangled him and forced him to go to jail. When we hear that, we get so angry and we said, I hope the king killed him. Friends, Jesus showed us that because he said, that is our hearts. That's real. That's true about us. How can we, how can we say we were forgiven all the things we were and, and we can throw a few breadcrumbs of our time, our talents and our treasures at the dying? Brothers and sisters, how can, we, how can it be possible? I want to remind us about a sober, a sober reminding about the truth this morning. In Psalm 24 it says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. I want you to understand with me this morning, brothers and sisters, you own nothing. Don't let your culture tell you. You can create wealth. You, you can create nothing. None of us can create. We were born 
in a certain place at a certain time. And as sons and daughters, that's a massive blessing and it's also a responsibility to use it to bring them home. It has nothing to do with musts and do's. It's got everything to do with our Father. He's creating and building a community. I call us a pilot model. He's busy building a community worldwide of people who are like-minded like his son. Generous, outrageously generous with their lives. Is that true of us? That's a question Paul asked the church in the Corinth. My question this morning for us as I conclude is, who will refrain from embracing the culture of rubbish bin picking with the street children out there? And who will dare to believe they've been adopted into their father's house? Who will go out in the streets of this global village we live in and will bring our brothers and sisters out of the cold back home? Be grateful this morning. May your soul overjoy, rejoice with gratefulness when you consider what you've been forgiven and that you are now safe in your father's house. And may this gratefulness bring a determination to you to be like Job, when in Job 5.16 he said, it is time to live it, so that the poor may have hope, and injustice shuts its mouth. May that be to the glory of our God Father, who is a just compassionate and loving father let us pray I thank you father this morning that I can call you father I thank you that your son did it all for us he ripped that curtain open from the top to the bottom you are the way the truth and the life Jesus It's mind-blowing for me to understand that you are also my brother now. My Lord and my brother. Holy Spirit, we recognize you as the very Spirit of God who dwells in us as temple, your temple. Fill us fresh this morning. Stir us up. Lord, I don't want one wasted life in this community. Not one. I ask you, stir them up to bring back the sons and the daughters who are out there, especially those who've got no hope if we don't intervene. I thank you for the way that they are intervening. I pray that you'll push us harder, Lord. I thank you for the nestas today who are setting such a high standard for us. Bless them, Father. Thank you for their beautiful feet. I pray that you will raise many more beautiful feet in this church. I pray that you'll stir their hearts, that they will be known worldwide. As a community, a family that are fetching.
the sons and the daughters of the dead and bringing them home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org